this series called uh, Seeing Life Through a New Lens. That's the name uh, of the series we've been in the last few weeks where we've been looking at um, the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he planted um, in the city of Corinth. And, and in that letter, he addressed uh, several different issues that were going on in the church there. So um, the title of this series, Seeing Life Through a new lens, it, it hits kind of close to home for me because um, ever since I was, you know, a young child, I've known that my eyesight has been terrible. I've had, yeah, I've had really bad eyes, um, and I used to wear glasses when I was really young, and then as I got older, I got into high school, I got contacts, um, and I've worn contacts for, for many years. Um, up until about six weeks ago, I actually had LASIK eye surgery. Um, yeah, so I can now, I guess you've had it too? <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, so, so, uh, so now I can see clearly without, without contacts um, or glasses. But, but uh, uh, this idea of, of a new lens, um, it makes sense to me because I, I know what it's like to not be able to see. Without those lenses that, that I wore for, for most of my life, I wasn't able to see the world uh, very clearly. I, I couldn't recognize the full beauty of it. I, I couldn't make out the details or, or the colors. I couldn't even really read the, the words that were printed around me on, on signs or um, on letters, things like that. that. What I was seeing as I looked um, at the world through my own eyes was a distorted view of reality, a distorted view uh, of what was really there. I couldn't see things clearly. And I think that um, the same idea, and that's why we chose this name for, for this series, but the same idea uh, can be applied to, to Christianity. Before we um, are saved, before we enter into a relationship with God, we view the world in, in a way um, that, in the way that we've been conditioned to see it. We see the world through a lens, um, a lens that is fallen, a lens uh, that is broken. And there's there's many different things and many different ways that, that, that are, that many different things that shape our lens. I mean, I'm just going to name a few of them uh, real quick. One of the first things that, that shapes the lens uh, through which we, we view the world is our culture, the culture uh, that we grew up in. As you all know, different cultures have different attitudes uh, about certain things, about different things. And, and depending on, on which culture you grew up in, you probably have you know, sort of a subconscious or maybe a conscious list, uh, an idea of the things that you know um, are okay in your culture and the things that you know aren't okay. And, um, if you know, your list may be completely different, even just opposite uh, to a person from another culture because our, our culture shaped the way we view the world and what we see as, as right and wrong, what we see as polite and, and, and impolite. Um, and if you've spent time which many of us at this church have, uh, living in, in different cultures, um, you know that. You know that, that, certain, you know, that, that, that certain things are perceived one way uh, in your culture, but in this other culture, uh, they're not perceived the same way. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but I've oftentimes had to learn that the hard way um, by offending somebody when I didn't mean to. Um, but thankfully, a lot of times I've been with Christians who've had grace and helped me to learn and grow through that. Um, and, and I think that that it, it's an important uh, realization for us, especially being a church that, that is made up of, of people from different cultures. It's, it's important 
um, that we're sensitive to each other, that, that we're aware uh, of our cultural differences, and that we know that we don't all um, see the world exactly the same, that to some degree we're still seeing things uh, through the perspective of our own cultures. But also, while we recognize that, we also need to stay aware that the way that we see things, just because we see it a certain way, doesn't mean that that's the right way. It doesn't mean that that's, uh, that's necessarily good or true. It's just a, a fact that we have been shaped and conditioned um, by our culture, and it is one of the things that, that shapes uh, the lens through which we view the world. Another thing is that shapes our lens is our personal experience. So uh, by the, the base, just based on the things that we've gone through in our lives, um, the negative things like the, the trials, uh, the struggles, the, the hurt that we felt through our lives, maybe the, the grief that we've experienced, these things cause us to, to see the world um, a certain way. But just like the negative experiences, our positive experiences, uh, they do that also. So uh, our, our triumphs and successes, um, you know, the, the blessings that we've had the joy uh, to experience, um, these things, they shape the way uh, that we see the world. Also, the relationships that we've been in, the people we've been in relationship with, the, the, the jobs that we've had, the places we've lived, all the things that are unique to our own personal experience, they shape how we view the world. So you can take two people that grew up in, in the same culture, and they might have a very different uh, view or outlook on the world because their experience in that culture w was very different. We need to uh, be aware of that. Another thing uh, that can shape our lens is, is our childhood, right? And I think that this one um, is very deep for, for all of us, so deep that a, a lot of us oftentimes don't even realize it's there. But uh, our family has taught us so many things about, about how to relate to the world. The, the values that our family have ha had uh, were passed on to us, whether we realized it or not. We saw that the, the way that you operate in relationships in our families before we saw it anywhere else. We saw how we process and deal with, with our feelings or, or, or with our emotions in our family before we saw that anywhere else. So these things go really deep into shaping the way um, that we see the world, that we live, uh, and behave, and act in the world. And these are just a few examples, obviously. There's many things uh, that, that do this, that shape the way uh, that we view the world, but uh, I just wanted to mention these, these few. And um, uh, what I want us to, to remember is that while these things have shaped the way that we view the world, they have all been affected by sin. They've all been uh, affected uh, by, by brokenness, by the brokenness um, that has entered into the world. So uh, to, I'm going to skip ahead real quick. We're, we're looking at 1 Corinthians, um, but there's a, a passage, I wanna, uh, a verse I want to share from 2 Corinthians. We're not doing a series on 2 Corinthians, so I felt like I could share this. Um, it's not a spoiler or anything. But uh, so... Paul writes another letter to Corinthians to the Corinthian church later on. And in this, in this uh, verse, 2 Corinthians verse 5.17, he writes to the Corinthians, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So once we become Christians... We enter into a, a new family. We enter into a, a new kingdom. 
We leave the kingdom of this world. And we enter into the kingdom of God. We become a whole new person, it says. A new life has begun. And along with, with that new life that we have comes a new lens. A new way of seeing the world. A new way of, of viewing the world. A new way of, of behaving. And when we live this out, when we live our lives uh, both as individuals and, and when we operate as a church, as a church community in the world, looking at the world and viewing everything through this lens, then the way that we live is no longer a, a reflection of those things I mentioned before, of our culture or our childhood or our experiments, our, our personal experiences, but it's actually, it's a testimony. It becomes a testimony to the power of God, to the power of, of God's grace to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness. When we see the world through, through the new lens, we start to live in a way that brings life, that brings peace, that brings, that brings justice. And, and also living this way, viewing the world through this way, helps to protect us, to protect us uh, from entering into sin, from falling back into those old patterns, according to the old way, uh, uh, our old way of viewing the world, which can only bring uh, us pain uh, and brokenness. And this, this new lens, it, it, it provides the framework for us to live our lives in that way, in a way uh, that restores all of God's creation and all of, of God's people uh, back to him and, and to one another, back to wholeness. And that essentially um, is what this is letter is about, the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul, he planted this church in the city of Corinth, and then a, a year and a half later, he gets word that the people there aren't living their lives according to the gospel. They're not living out uh, this new way. He hears about all these different things that, that were going on, all these issues uh, that, that were doing damage to the church. They were doing damage to the reputation of Christianity in the city. And uh, because the church was not seeing the world through, uh, through the lens of the gospel, their, their behavior, the ways they were living their lives, the way they were functioning um, as a church body, it had reverted uh, back to the ways that, that they lived before they were Christians. They weren't reflecting this good news. They weren't uh, reflecting the kingdom of God. And there were several specific things that, that were going on um, that made the church look much more uh, like the world or even made it look like the different cults that existed uh, during that time than like the church. And, and those are the things that Paul goes through and, and addresses um, in this letter. And throughout this whole letter, he's just, he really is scolding them. He's just going after them and, and, and yelling at them and trying to get them to, to wake up to wake up and see how they have strayed so far and they're screwing up so bad. He's trying to let them know that they lost their gospel lenses and they need to, to put them back on. So th that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks um, at the church. We've been looking at these different issues and we've had sermons each of the last three weeks on these different issues. Um, we started out talking about how they were struggling with division in their church uh, over leadership. And then um, after that, we looked at how they were really struggling to maintain sexual integrity in the church. 
And then last week we, we learned about how uh, they, were, they were arguing and, and not knowing when to exercise um, their personal freedoms without causing uh, one another to sin. And there was a lot of disagreement and, 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 and tension over each of these issues. And if you want to hear more about any of those um, topics that Paul covers, you can go and listen to um, the sermons online on our website at everydaycc.com. If any of you didn't know, every sermon is, is taped, taped, is recorded, <laughs> is recorded, and we put it up on the website. So you can go back and, and listen to any of that stuff at, at, at any time, and I recommend listening to those messages. They're, they're powerful messages. So now today, um, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 through 14, the next issue that, that Paul um, addresses is the church gathering. There were things that, that, the, that the Corinthians were doing when they gathered together as a church that, that were not uh, a good representation of the kingdom of God, but were a reflection of the world around them. The culture around them had greatly influenced and affected the way that they were, that they were doing church. And there were four different things in this section, four specific things that Paul um, that Paul addresses regarding uh, the church gathering. So if you open uh, your Bibles or you to, to this section of Scripture uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, there, the first section there, there are some verses that might make you feel uncomfortable. And yeah, Larry's laughing because he read this recently too. So um, yeah, and they made me a little bit uncomfortable, especially in, in, in the day and age that we live in. Um, and, and there was a, a, a bit of me that was tempted to just be like, well, let's just skip over these and look at the other stuff. But, um, but I felt that it's important for us to address these things, to learn how to read the scripture, to learn how to interpret passages that are difficult or may even seem contradictory to, to other uh, truths that we find um, in the Bible. So uh, the first thing th that Paul writes and addresses is in regards to the role of women in the church gathering. And in, uh, verse, in chapter 11, verse 6, he says, For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. Interesting passage, right? So um, what I want to say, and the reason I picked out this verse, is because uh, I, I want us to learn how to um, interpret these things. In order for us to understand this passage, and in order for us to, to understand and draw out the meaning, the principles found in, in any passage in Scripture, it's important that we first understand the context of the culture in which it was written. We need to understand that the audience that was, it was written to, the situations that were going on, we have to know that before we just take uh, one specific thing and apply it literally to the church today. Unfortunately, that's what has tended to happen oftentimes throughout history with certain verses, but not with others. And also, in, in addition to understanding um, the culture and, and the context, we have to always view the word, view the Bible as a, a story, because the Bible is a story. So anything that, that we read is a one piece, one part of a much larger narrative. And the, the narrative of Scripture, uh, it, it's a story that begins with oneness. 
that begins with, with complete uh, mutuality between humans with one another. Adam and Eve were completely in harmony with each other and in harmony with God. But then once sin entered into the world, the narrative shifts into otherness. And now suddenly, people are, are, are trying to rule and have power and dominance over one another and, and, and have strayed from God and have gone away from God. And the whole story of the Bible is from that oneness to otherness back to oneness. And that is ultimately what uh, the kingdom of God is about. And, and, and what we have to keep in mind as we read and understand scripture, that, that it's all a part of a journey back to complete um, harmony, back to complete harmony between humans with one another, between men with women, between people across all differences and divisions that we have, and between us as humans with God. If we don't do that, as we try to read and interpret and understand scripture, we're doing it very irresponsibly, and we're going to end up with crazy applications that make no sense. And, and that's what happens. So um, I just wanted to, to, to throw that out there for you all. Um, so back to the culture piece. Um, in Corinth, during the time that, that, that this was written, there were many different cults. There were a lot of cults there uh, in, that, in that town. And um, for some of those cults, part of their religious practice was when they went and met together was to have sex with prostitutes. That's weird, but that's what they did. Now, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing your hair down, especially in, in our culture. But in those times, that was the way uh, that, that prostitutes would dress in order to set themselves apart from the way everyone else dressed. It was not common for the people to wear their hair down. So now, this is my assumption. My assumption and my belief is that the women in the church in Corinth, uh, they came to the conclusion through Paul's teaching and preaching when he planted the church there, that they were free in Christ. That's one of Paul's main uh, messages, and that they, they didn't have to submit to the cultural norms, and they could wear their hair however they wanted, even the way prostitutes did. And I think that was true. Uh, I think they had that freedom, and that, that in and of itself was not, uh, was not wrong. They didn't do anything wrong there. But, but what it, that was doing was communicating uh, to non-Christians, to people who weren't a part of the body and didn't understand um, God's grace, that they were prostitutes. So people were, were watching uh, the Corinthian Christians uh, go in to have church, and they were thinking that there were prostitutes going into the church and that a part of, of Christian uh, gathering and, and Christian worship was for everyone to have sex with each other. Uh, now, I think that that, that communicates uh, uh, the ethic that's contradictory to, to the Christian ethic, that we're supposed to uh, live our lives uh, in a way that, that we're, uh, we have integrity in, in our approach to sex, that we're, we don't live sexually open lives. So um, I think that was the issue and the principle beneath what Paul was trying to address there. So I was trying to think of, like, what is an equivalent to that in our culture uh, today. And uh, this isn't a perfect analogy, <laughs> but I was just like picturing and thinking like, what if we brought um, like a bunch of kegs of beer uh, into our worship services? We were just like wheeling in kegs of beer um, <laughs> on Sunday mornings. And we were like, well, we believe that we're free to partake uh, in drinking alcohol, but that we are to do so in moderation. So there's nothing wrong with doing this. Um, that could send some messages 
to the community. Now, the first would probably be why are they having beer in a school? That would probably be the first uh, issue. But, uh, but also, that might send the message that, that as Christians, we're okay with, with, uh, you know, with consuming alcohol very liberally and, and not uh, practicing moderation. We're okay with getting drunk. That could be the message um, that that sends. So I don't know. That's a very imperfect analogy, but it was the best I could come up with. Um, but the point is that the principle, the principle behind what Paul was communicating in this passage was that you shouldn't even give the appearance uh, to the world that you partake in sinful practices. And that's the first thing that Paul addresses. The next thing that he addresses later on in, in chapter 11 is in regards to the way that they're partaking in communion. So communion is, uh, is a sacrament. It's a practice that the church has done ever since the beginning. Um, and it's something that we do here as well at Everyday Church. We take um, this bread that represents Jesus' body and we dip it in a juice that represents his blood. That's the way that we practice it. And that is practiced widely um, around the world in this era. Um, but back then, uh, communion was actually, it was a full meal. It wasn't just this little bread and juice. And a lot of people, they would bring their own food to the meal. They'd bring their own food, uh, and they would bring their own, um, their own drinks. And, and, and what was happening when they were gathering together for communion was that some people in the church uh, were just uh, feasting, while other people were being left hungry. And Paul writes in verse 21, For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So the issue that Paul is addressing here, and if you look at uh, the larger uh, chapter, if you go back and read this later today, you'll see that this was a class issue. That was the problem uh, that, was, that was being addressed. The people who were well off in the church, who had a good amount of money, they were bringing all of their own food, and they were bringing all of their own wine, and they were just eating and drinking to excess, while the poor people in the church, those who weren't as well off, were sitting there with almost nothing, next to nothing to eat. And arguably the church's most sacred practice, the church was reinforcing those societal divisions that existed between rich and poor, where the church should have been breaking down those barriers and looking differently. They were doing just the opposite, and they appeared just as the, the culture did all around them. I think about uh, the newcomers that might have went and visited that church, the, the seekers, those who were interested um, in Christianity. If they would have went to that church and then seen uh, a church where some people are, were, were, you know, just having this great experience and others were, were feeling so left out, what type, of, what type of message would that send to them? And I think that, that, that the church there, they, they were missing such an opportunity to show the power of the gospel by making sure that everyone was taken care of, that everyone had something to eat and something to drink, and, and there weren't some that had much and others that had almost nothing. I was thinking about um, the potlucks that we have here at ECC. You know, we have picnics and barbecues, uh, oftentimes where people bring, uh, bring different dishes. And I was thinking, like, what if we got together and, and those of us uh, who were better off brought their own, like, steaks and like fine red wine, and we're just like having a great meal, um, and then the rest of us, and I'll put myself in that category, um, <laughs> we're just like sitting there with a little maybe white rice and like a hot dog or something, 
You know, that, that's just what I think of when I think of what was going on in Corinth. And, and this was happening when the church was supposed to be uh, uh, focusing on the grace of God. That's what communion is. What kind of grace is that? That's a divided grace. So what Paul is telling them, don't recreate that class inequality that exists in your town. Don't recreate those divisions that exist in your town and in your society in the church. The next thing that, that Paul addresses about the gathering is that every person is important, and all gifts matter to God. As you look at, at this larger uh, section of Scripture in the next chapter, in, in chapter 12, you see that some people were getting uh, very prideful about uh, the gifts that they had, and they brought to the table the things um, that they offered to the church, the way that the roles that they were playing. They started to think, you know, one person was thinking they were superior than another. Uh, every, people were trying to out-spiritualize each other. And Paul writes to them, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He gives them this, this image uh, of a body to to let them know and to, and to let them see how everyone in the church is mutually dependent on one another. Every person is, is important, and he's telling them you shouldn't be comparing yourselves. One of you isn't better than, than anyone else. You're acting just like the world. That's, that's what happens in the world. Everyone's trying to get one up on each other and outdo each other, and it's all competition. But in the church, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be like a body where we value the role in uh, the gifts and the talents of, of every person. We need to work together. He doesn't um, say this explicitly, but, but I believe that, that it, it's implied in this passage uh, that all of us have a role to play as well. That, that none of us should be sitting on the sidelines. But if, if you consider yourself um, a Christian, if you consider, then, then, then you're a part of the body. Then, then you are, are a part of making the whole body function. And you should be looking for uh, the opportunities to serve, to offer uh, the gifts and talents and the things that you have to, to build up the church and, and to build up um, God's kingdom. The church isn't just to be led by, by the preacher or, or, or the speaker. But all of us uh, have a role to play. And if all of us aren't uh, fulfilling our role, then the body is going to struggle. And I think we should also remember in the process of this that none of us sh should think of, of our gifts or what we have to offer as more valuable than anyone else's because that's not, that's not the truth. And then uh, the last thing that Paul addresses um, in the gathering is uh, in regards to, to, to the way that people um, are worshiping and, and how they're, they're worshiping in a way uh, that, that lifts themselves up, benefits their own spiritual experience, but it's at the expense uh, of the group. It's at the expense um, of the whole church body. And you have to, you have to uh, know that during this time and, and in this church, um, their meetings tended to be much more open and, and a little more um, chaotic, where uh, m many people would come up and would have a chance uh, to speak and to share um, as, as they felt led. But what was happening was, was people were using that time, uh, and they were coming up, and they were speaking. Um, some people were speaking in tongues. And uh, tongues are, are angelic languages um, that can be used to praise God, and some people receive that gift. 
But they were coming up and they were speaking uh, in tongues. They were doing this. They were praising God, but no one could understand what was being said. There was no one uh, interpreting um, the spiritual gift that was being exercised. So that person was, was up front connecting with God, and it was amazing. But the whole church was just there, like, not knowing what was being said. So it was not beneficial to the whole group. It was taking away uh, from, from that the purpose uh, of the worship space. In, uh, ver- in chapter 14, verse 26, Paul writes, When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a, rev- uh, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So people aren't supposed, he's telling them, don't just go up there uh, and speak and share and do all this to make yourself uh, feel good if it's not beneficial to the whole church. You need to make sure that the church has a way uh, to learn and to grow and to connect with God uh, through the the, the words that you're going up and sharing. He wanted them to to make sure that they were putting the community and and the body of believers ahead of just their own personal experience with God. So, um, to recap, the four things that he addresses in this section regarding the gathering. Don't give the appearance that you partake in sinful practices. Don't replicate the, the divisions that exist in society, and specifically the class inequality. Then he says, don't, don't think of your gifts as more valuable than anyone else's. And then last, don't, don't put your own personal experience with God ahead of making sure that everyone uh, is able to connect with God. So this is a lot of um, rebuke, right? It's a lot of, don't do this, don't do this, you're doing this, it's wrong, you need to change, da 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 And that is actually a bit different than um, a lot of what we read from Paul. Because Paul tends to focus oftentimes on, on God's grace, but here, uh, this is a little different. But he's addressing um, each of these different Issues, these, these are surface-level issues that he's addressing that are the result of sin. The, re- the result of the sins that the people in Corinth are struggling with. The sins of, of, of pride and the sin of, of selfishness. So after he goes through and, and, and just hits them over and over and over with all this stuff, he then summarizes uh, for the Corinthians how they can overcome these sins. And I believe that, that this passage is extremely important, was extremely important for, for them, uh, and is also extremely important for us today. And in this passage of Scripture, uh, this chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, I think it's, it's the, key, uh, the key text to this whole, not just these chapters, but definitely to these chapters, but also to the entire book of Corinthians. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, But do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
This is the key. This is the key for the Corinthians to overcome their sin. This is the key for the church to begin living uh, as a new community who sees the world through a new lens. And that lens is love. That is the new lens that we put on, and that is the message of the gospel. That God so loved the world that he sent us his one and only son. We are called to love one another, to love each other more than we love ourselves. More than we love to express our own freedoms. More than we love to exercise our gifts. More than we love to even indulge uh, in the blessings that God has given us. Because everything that, that we have, everything that we do, even when we do good things, even our faith itself means nothing, Paul writes to the Corinthians, if we don't have love. So as I was, um, as I was preparing for this message, I was, I was praying and I was asking God uh, to, to show me how might, this, um, how might these scriptures apply to me personally and, and to my own life. And as I was reflecting on that and praying, uh, I, I started to realize that much like the, the Corinthians, I too also struggle with pride. Because I, I live out my faith the way I do, because, um, because I, 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 I live out my, my beliefs and, and my life in the way that, um, that I operate in the church, the way that I do, I realize that I, I start to, at times, look down on other Christians. I start to, to judge others. I start to, uh, I start to look at others and, and compare myself to them. And when I do that, that makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel more spiritual or, or more, more holy, which is the very thing that Paul rebuked the Corinthians for. And, then, and as I was thinking about this, as I was reflecting on this, I was like, man, that is not love. That's not love at all. That's pride. You know, it doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't be uh, aware of, of, um, of the different issues that exist in the church uh, across our country and across the world. And that we shouldn't be doing something to uh, try to help make things better and improve the situation. But we should be doing that from our knees. We should be doing that in prayer. We should be doing that in love, in love for our brothers and sisters, in love for God's church, and in desire to see it built up and to see it be a, a true representation of the kingdom of God on earth. We shouldn't be doing it to make ourselves feel better and to make ourselves feel like, oh, we figured it out and they have it wrong. Because that is not the gospel. And if we, want, uh, if we want to be that type of church, if we want to be that type of church, and I mean uh, big church throughout the country, the world, I also mean if we want to be that type of church right here at ECC, a church that can overcome all of our differences, whether they're political or cultural, economic, philosophical, whatever those differences may be, if we want to be that type of church, we need to love each other. We need to love each other and we need to value each other more than we value ourselves. And we, this is a key right here. We have to remember that we're all broken. Every single one of us is broken. All of us have sin in our lives. None of us are without sin. So we can't look and judge someone else because we're just as bad. We're the worst sinner. Thankfully, 
We are not the judge. We just got to remember that, though. God is the judge. God is the judge. We are the church. That's our calling. And as the church, we need to put on that new lens of the gospel, that new lens that allows us to be a community that reflects the truth of, of Jesus' life, Jesus' death and, and resurrection, that reflects that, that good news to the world. I'm going to say a prayer, and then um, Larry's going to come up, and I think Kate's going to come up, and they're going to share uh, with us a bit. So would you all pray with me? Uh, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for, for bringing us all here this morning, God. We ask that, uh, that, you, would, that you would take this, this message, that you would take these uh, principles as found in Scripture, that you would take this idea of love and, and just ingrain it deeply within our soul, deeply within our hearts, deeply within our minds, God. We, we repent of our, of our pridefulness, of our way that we judge others. We repent of our selfishness. Uh, of prioritizing our, our own needs or our own uh, feelings above everyone else's, God. And we ask that you would just help us to be a church, to be people that are known for our humility, that are known for our love, God. Our love for one another and our love for you. Amen.